in this second lab on verses 14 to 18 of chapter 2, I simply want to tackle the meaning of blameless, innocent, without blemish, because those are such troubling, troubling phrases to those of us who know from Scripture, not just from experience, though that too, that we are sinners, that there's not a day goes by that we don't do something that we are regretful of, some tone of voice, some attitude. So that's what we'll focus on. Let me read the first few lines. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. We look at that the first time. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So, Father, as we try to understand what Paul meant and what you're trying to communicate to us about being blameless and innocent and without blemish, bring to our minds all the things that would be biblically relevant for a right understanding of these things. And then may we pursue it and embrace it in experience, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What I do when I'm trying to figure out the meaning of words is look carefully at the context, and uh, that's both the immediate context and the nearer one and then the more distant ones. And so let's, let's let Paul uh, show us how he uses these terms, because I don't see anything here that would settle the issue for the meaning of these in the immediate context. But earlier in the prayer in chapter 1, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. So it seems to flow from abounding in, in our love, abounding in knowledge and discernment and approving what is excellent leads to this blamelessness. So this, this is what he wants us to attain so that we will stand before Christ with this someday. In chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, we see that Paul was not a perfectionist. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Not. Not. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul pursues perfection because Christ has decisively made him his own by dying for him. Brothers, I do not consider that I have already made it my own. It's not already done. I'm not a perfectionist. So when he says that we can be blameless and innocent, he, he doesn't mean somehow perfect. There's, a, there's a, a blamelessness and an innocence and a freedom from blemish that is not perfect, evidently. And here's an interesting thing. We'll go outside the Pauline context for a moment. Luke 1. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah in the division of Abijah, and he had a wife 
from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments. So there is a righteousness and a blamelessness that is real. This is not hypothetical. These are real people who kept the law in a way that they could be described as righteous and blameless. And lest we think, oh, well, Luke was a perfectionist. (laughs) No, because Paul himself wrote this in 1 Thessalonians 2.10. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. So Paul says, I've been blameless toward you. So he's praying that it would be the experience of the Philippians, and he's uh, saying that he himself has set that kind of example. In fact, here's something that complicates matters. In chapter 3, verses 4 through 6, where he's describing his pre-Christian, rebellious, sinful, arrogant behavior, here's what he says. If anyone else thinks that he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He threw them into jail. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. So Paul even says, before he was a Christian, he was blameless. Now, I would not press this to say the meaning of blameless here is exactly the same as the meaning back in chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Righteousness under the law blameless is part of his reputation as being way ahead of everybody else in his generation. In other words, outwardly, from the standpoint of assessing a man's outward righteous keeping of the commandments, Paul kept them all. And his conscience was clear. Internally, he hated God and he hated Christians. So this is not the blamelessness of heart that Paul is aiming at, but it does show how how flexible the word is and how we mustn't idealize this word. So what is it? What is it when he says, I want you to be free from grumbling and disputing so that In getting rid of those, you'll be blameless, innocent, and without blemish. Back here in Psalm 19, there's a paradigm that I think is very helpful. Who can discern his errors? In other words, David says, our sins are so deep and some of them so hidden and and our hearts are so deceptive. How can we even know whether we are blameless or not? And then he says this, two steps. One, declare me innocent of hidden faults. So there he acknowledges there, there are faults and sins in my life I don't even know about. And he asks God to deal with those. We know now he deals with them in Jesus Christ. And then secondly, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. So these hidden faults are different from these. These are sins done with a high hand. I'm going to, I don't care what you say, God, I'm going to 
do what I want to do, and it doesn't matter whether you, what you've commanded or not. And he says, these I'm sure I've committed, and I plead with you, vindicate me, justify me, cancel those out, and don't even let me ever get to the point where I so rebel against you that I commit sins that are so presumptuous that they are like outright rebellion. Let them not have dominion over me. Let these presumptuous sins not conquer me. Then, if this comes true and this comes true, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So this blamelessness in uh, David's mind comes from two sources, it seems like. Not perfection, as though there were no hidden faults, and those have to be dealt with by mercy and forgiveness, but also I will not walk in presumptuous sin. And if we don't rebel against God and walk in unrepentant, arrogant, presumptuous sin and plead with God to cover all the sins we have committed, we can call ourselves blameless. And the last question is, why would getting rid of grumbling in our lives make us so blameless and innocent and, and without blemish that in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we shine. Why would we shine as lights in the world? It seems like he's saying that this getting rid of grumbling and disputing is so significant. It's the essence of, of our brightness. And here's one idea. James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. In other words, it appears that the tongue is the hardest member to get under control. Grumbling, is the last thing to go. Sounds like it. If, if you cannot stumble in what you say, then your whole body. <laughs> it, it is harder to stop grumbling than to stop committing adultery. It's harder to stop grumbling than to stop stealing. Harder to stop grumbling than to stop killing. Grumbling is this loose tongue that complains so quickly. And so maybe Paul back here is thinking, this issue of grumbling and, and indicting God and, and not wanting to do what we're called upon to do and always thinking of something negative to say and always having a bad attitude, that is so endemic to the human tongue that if we could be done with it, we would be blameless, innocent, and, and blemish-free in such a way that in a crooked and twisted generation, we would shine as lights in the world.